Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 22. So we're talking about revival. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Bless you. All right, Matthew twenty two thirty six. Actually, look at verse 35. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. So they asked this question of Jesus, and they were testing Jesus to see what his answer would be. So they were trying to trap him. Now remember, this is literally days before the crucifixion of Jesus. This is in the week preceding his arrest and crucifixion. Jesus is teaching in the temple. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees have been coming to him, trying to test him, trying to trap him into something that that would discredit him. And that's what this question was. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now hold your place there. Let's go back and let's go to the book of Deuteronomy. Now where did Jesus get that answer? Why did Jesus say what he said? Let's first go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Turn over a few pages. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Now, when Jesus tells us something is the greatest commandment, we probably should pay attention to him, right? When Jesus says, this is the greatest, this is really important, we probably should pay attention to what Jesus says. And Jesus said, this is the great commandment. To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. To love God means to hate what God hates. Would you agree with that? If we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, that means that we are also going to hate what God hates. And God hates sin because sin brought about death. 
will never experience true revival until we experience the truth of our sin. So when we talk about revival, we can't talk about revival and not talk about sin. The reason we need revival is because sin is a reality. Because we live in a world that has been corrupted by sin. It's our catechism question today. What did sin do? It didn't just cause Adam and Eve and all humanity to enter into death. It brought about a curse that still resides on the created order. In fact, Paul writes in his letter to the Romans that the creation is awaiting the redemption. It's awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. It's awaiting that day when Jesus comes and we see him face to face and this corruptible puts on incorruption. When this mortality puts on immortality. Our bodies, we will be changed one day. And in that day that our bodies are changed, the Bible says the whole creation will be released from the curse. Now you and I, in Jesus, we have already been redeemed from the curse. If you are in Christ right now, the curse does not hold you. You're not bound by the curse. You've been set free. You live in a world that is still subject to the curse, but you yourself have been redeemed from the curse of sin and death. And in that sense, you are absolutely free. But Jesus made it very clear in the prayer recorded for us in John chapter 17. Father, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. I'm asking that you keep them from the evil one. And Jesus would say things like this. They're in the world, but they're not of the world. Just like Jesus was in the world, but Jesus was not of the world. He was of heaven. 1 Corinthians 15 says he is the man, the Lord from heaven, who became a life-giving spirit. And so we've been redeemed. We've been set free from the curse, no doubt. But we still live and we still experience the effects of the curse in this world that we live in. And so the effect of sin is all around us. So we can't talk about revival and not talk about sin. And until we come to experience the truth of our sin... Unless we know that we need a Savior, why would we call out to Him? Unless we know that we need a Savior, why would we believe we have anything to repent of, any sin to repent of? So we need a revelation. We need a reality check. We need to experience the truth of our sin. God hates sin so much that He allowed His Son to die in order to defeat sin and the death that it produced. So when we love what God hates, we oppose God himself. And when we love what God hates, we set ourselves in opposition to him, and we are set on a course of destruction. And so the answer Jesus gave to the question, what is the greatest commandment? To love God with all your heart that is what we are called to. 
You've been called to love God with all of your heart, with all your mind, with all of your strength. And, and what, what, what does that do for your life? What does that do in your life? Well, we just baptized a baby. And loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, as parents should motivate you to raise your children up in the fear and nurture of the Lord. It should motivate you to model for your children to the best of your ability the example that Christ set. Not to be perfect, because none of us are perfect. But to love God is to desire to love the things that God loves. To love God is to hate and to not desire the things that God does not desire. So we're called to love God with all of our heart. And so we're called to love the very things that God loves. Now I want to draw your attention back to this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. That was that was a statement that no doubt the people of Israel, the Jews that were hearing this, understood the implication of this because they understood the covenant of circumcision. They understood what that represented, that God gave that to Abraham, their father. He is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Now Moses, Moses is talking to the children of Israel after God has delivered them from their 400 plus years of slavery in Egypt. And they're in the wilderness. And God has given the covenant. And the covenant goes all the way back to Abraham. When God tells Abraham, circumcise yourself and circumcise your children. Every male born into your household. Every son, every servant, if they're a part of your household, circumcise. Give them the sign of this covenant that I establish with you today. And it was a circumcision. It was a sign in the flesh. But now Moses says something interesting. It wasn't just a sign in the flesh, but it says the Lord your God, the Lord your God, not your fathers, not a rabbi, not a pastor or a priest, but the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. You know what we're trusting God to do? We're trusting God to circumcise the heart of Simeon Lewis Ripple. We're trusting God to circumcise the heart of our children. Parents, trust that God will circumcise the hearts of your children. That is assuming there is an implication, an assumption that if you are trusting God to circumcise the hearts of your children, that you are trusting that he has circumcised your own heart, right? They didn't just walk around and pick children from different families and different tribes and different nations and say, hey, give me your children and I'll 
circumcise them, give them the sign of the covenant. No, they were, this was a sign given to the covenant people and covenant children. So when God gives this commandment that we just read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. When that commandment is given to the children of Israel, there is this understanding that something has to happen in our heart. And this is exactly what Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 is saying. In order for you to love God with all your heart, guess what God has to do? God has to do heart surgery on you. God has to give you a heart to love Him. Do you love Jesus? Do you love God? If you love God, it's because God has loved you. 1 John 4.19 We love God for God first loved us. That's what John writes in 1 John. So my question, do you love God? And if your answer is, yes, I love God, then I want you to be assured that God loves you. I didn't ask you, are you perfect? I didn't ask you, do you ever make mistakes? I didn't ask you, how's your obedience meter reading today? Are you a one or are you a ten? I didn't ask you that. I said, do you love God? You will never be able to love God the way God loves you. 1 John 4.18, and we know fear involves torment, but perfect love casts out all fear. It's not your ability to love God perfectly. It's the reality that God loves you perfectly. Do you know that? Your knowledge of God's perfect love for you, though, should motivate you, should inspire you, To do what? To love God. If you get a revelation of God's perfect and complete love for you, that love that God has for you should motivate you to love God. Now, have you ever noticed this about people? That people fundamentally do the things that they want to do. You ever been in a situation and someone said, And I tried to come to work today, but I just couldn't make it. That may be true. You know, their car may have broke down. Maybe they had a blowout of flat. Or it could be that that alarm went off and they were just like, man, I am so tired today. And it's a beautiful day. You know what? I think I'm just going to call in sick. Hey, uh, just wanted to call and let you know I'm I'm not going to be able to make it to work today. Eh, liar. <laughs> Just tell the truth. Hey, uh, oh no, wait, you can't tell the truth because then you might get fired. <laughs> but the reality is a lot of times it's not that I can't, it's that I won't. I don't want to. So here's the truth. Here's a fundamental truth of life. People do what they want to do. Every one of you are here today because you wanted to be here. Now, 
I'm not saying you were 100% gung-ho when the alarm went off, like, yes, man, I get to get up and go to church this morning. It might be, man, well, it's raining. I can't do anything else. Let's go to church, honey. I don't know, but, but the bottom line is you're here. And you're here because you wanted to be here versus doing something for whatever reason. Wives, let me ask you a question. If your husband came up to you and said, Honey, you know, I'm just so happy to be with you. I love you so much. I just want you to know I'm committed to you. And I'm going to stay with you and cherish you for the rest of my days. Basically because you're the only person that will have me, but, you know, and I'm really thankful for that. I don't really want to be with you, but being with you is better than being alone. Well, that would just send shivers up your spine, wouldn't it? Make you feel all warm and tingly. God, if truth be told, I really don't care much about worshiping you, but the thought of burning in hell forever, man, I think I'll endure a couple hours on Sunday morning if if, if I can avoid that. Are you understanding? See, See, Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment. Do you know what? You don't have to try real hard to do the things you love most. Any guys here love to go fishing? Love to go hunting? Now, I grew up fishing and hunting. And I'll be honest with you. There were times growing up, my mom had to pour water on me to get me to get out of bed to go to school. I mean, like, just like right at the last moment, just enough time for me to get ready to get out the door to go to school and not be late. Sometimes I was so reluctant to get out of bed that she would have to pour water on me, yell at me, try to pull me out of the bed, pull the covers off of me. Go away, leave me alone, I'm tired. But guess what? When my dad came in at four o'clock in the morning and he said, hey, It's time to get up. We better get out there. Those deer aren't going to wait for us. I was up. I was at it. I was wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. You know why? Because I loved to go hunting more than I loved to go to school. And I didn't have to be begged or prodded or poked or tortured in any way to do the things I love to do. No one had to ask me or make me. I just did them. Because it's what I loved to do. So when Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment, and here's the second like it, to love your neighbor as yourself, on these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. In other words, Jesus said, if you love God with all your heart, Being obedient to God is not going to be a problem for you because you're going to love to do that because you love God. 
I said this yesterday about our Dela Martin, who's in heaven right now, having a much better service than we are right now. She came here week in and week out because she loved God. And she loved the people of God. And she loved to worship God. What do you love? What does it mean to love God with all your heart? Because what you love is what you're going to be able to do easily, willingly, joyfully. And you're able to do that because God has done something to your heart. Now, I don't know how you guys, but here's, here's what I do. When I find myself struggling to do the things that I know God would want me to do, it could be little things, it could be big things. I realize that the issue is not someone else, it's not something, it's not some situation. I realize the issue goes back to my own heart. And one of my constant prayers is, God, change my heart. Change me, God. That God would change us, that God would change our heart, that we would have a heart to love him, that we would have a heart to love the things that God loves. You know why we need revival? Now, I'm not just talking about Christ fellowship. I'm saying, look at our nation. Do you not see what's happening in our nation Can you see that the love of God has waxed cold? Can you see that the love for one another has grown cold? There is a heart problem in our nation. But before you throw rocks at Austin or Washington or City Hall, listen, the problem goes back to the doorstep of the church. Because God didn't say when when the leaders of the nation humble themselves and pray, God said, when my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. Do you know what keeps us from humbling ourselves and praying? It's a heart issue. That's what keeps us. Because we love ourselves, because we love our stuff, because we love our pride, because we love whatever, more than we love God because we love this activity and that activity and this lifestyle and that lifestyle more than we love God. It keeps us from humbling ourselves and praying. The issue goes back to the heart. It's the heart of God's people. The problem with our nation today is not our politicians or political parties. The problem with our nation today goes back to the hearts of God's people. And if it's not your heart, then you should be praying, seeking the face of God on behalf of the others of God's people who do have heart issues. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Revival is a product of radical love. That love originates with God because it's God who poured his love out. The Bible is really clear throughout the Psalms. It's very clear throughout all of the scripture. 
even there, the scripture we just read in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. God's going to have to circumcise our hearts. God's going to have to change our hearts before we can love him. Paul writes in Romans 3, there's none righteous, there's none good. There's no, not one. There's none who seek after God. What's the problem? It's a heart problem. But when God pours out his love, let's turn over to Romans chapter 5. Go with me there, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Let's just begin in the first verse. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Strange. Knowing that tribulation produces something. How can Paul glory in tribulation? Because Paul understood that, as Ezekiel said, the Lord works all things according to his plan and purpose. Paul understood that even in tribulation, God was producing something. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character And character produces hope. Now hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been, past tense, has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was, past tense, who was given to us. Who's Paul talking to? He's talking to the believers. He said, you're a believer because God poured his Holy Spirit into your heart. You're a believer because God gave himself to you. This is our hope. God poured his love into our hearts. He gave us his spirit as a guarantee. That's the earnest. That's what he left with us to prove to us that he is a man of his word. He gave us his spirit. God poured his love into our heart by the Holy Spirit. Revival is a product of radical love. Love that was poured into our hearts by God's spirit. When we begin to experience a radical love for God's glory, we will begin to experience Revival. That's a word that's thrown around a lot. But I'm not talking about some big thing. I'm I'm first talking about something that happens right here in your heart. Because that's where revival has got to begin. Revival is a product of radical faith. The kind of faith that will not settle for less than the will of God that's been revealed to us in the word of God. 
a faith that will not settle for anything less than the glory of God. Revival will come when men realize they are still in their sin and that the only hope that we have in this life and in death is Jesus Christ. It is in the grace of Christ that our greatest aspiration in life is found. And that aspiration, our gra- the thing we should aspire to most by God's grace is the glory of God. The only hope we have is in His grace. We are saved by grace through faith. Revival is a product of radical faith. Now this word radical, really, biblical love and biblical faith is radical to the world, but it should not be extraordinary for the believer. It's not that God has called some to an extraordinary faith over and above others. When Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, he, he meant that for all the believers. It's not that some of the believers are going to be given a special ability to love God more. No. So when I say radical love, I want you to understand radical love is nothing more than biblical love. It's the love God has for us. Pretty radical though. He gave his only begotten son. For his enemies. To redeem for himself a people. If you stop and think about what God calls us to. When we talk about radical faith. Turn over to. John's gospel, I mean Luke's gospel. Look over at Luke. Let me see if I can find it here. Well, I can't find my place now. Jesus said, those who desire to come after me, whoever desires to come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. That's pretty radical. That's, that's I think, something that we could, call radical if we understand what the cross is and he's not talking about that little piece of jewelry you wear around your neck he's talking about the cross the same cross that he carried to Calvary was nailed to and died upon Jesus said if you desire to come after me let him take up his cross whoever desires to come after me let him take up his cross and follow me to what Follow me to your death. Then he says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake shall save it, shall find life. Faith calls you to lay down your life. Faith calls you to lose your life. For who? For Christ's sake. For what? For the glory of God. If you love God with all of your heart, laying down your life for his glory is not going to be difficult. So revival is a product of radical faith. Revival is a product of humble hope. There is no revival where there is no hope. God has given us hope. We just read this. God poured his spirit out into our hearts. He poured out his love into our hearts by his spirit. And he has given us a hope that does not disappoint. So revival is a product of humble hope. In Christ, he has made a way where there is no way. Now hope does not disappoint because the Holy Spirit has been poured out in our hearts. Our hope is in him. It's in his sovereign rule. It's in his sovereign grace. It's it's in his supreme glory that he is working in and through all things. Listen to a quote. This is Martin Lloyd-Jones quoting Jonathan Edwards. Until men and women in the church are humbled and abased to fall to the earth before the holy, righteous, quoting Edwards, angry God, we have no hope of revival. Until we see sin for what it is and know that God hates it to its very being, we have no right to talk about revival. We can't begin to understand the true nature of sin and the true nature of death until we begin to see God for who he is. Who is God? He is completely holy. He is completely righteous. He is completely just. He loathes sin so completely that he gave his only son to defeat it. Our hope, church, is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in man. Our hope is in God. And it's in God alone. It's in that hope, our hope in God, our hope in His grace, our hope in His mercy. It's in that hope that we humble ourselves. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Peter writes these words and he says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. In verse 5, Peter writes, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We humble ourselves before God in hope. And our hope does not disappoint because God has poured his love into our hearts by his spirit. God poured his love into our hearts and he gave us a heart to contain his love. Jesus said you don't put new wine in old wineskins because the old wineskin won't be able to contain the new wine. God doesn't pour 
his love into old hearts, God pours his love into new hearts. And out of that new heart, filled with his love, we have a hope that will not disappoint. That doesn't mean we don't walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That doesn't mean that we won't experience circumstances and situations that may be painful and dark and bitter and unpleasant. What it means is that in the midst of those situations, in the midst of the valley, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the bitterness, God has given us a hope that will not disappoint. Because God has given us a new heart and he has poured his love into that heart. And what does Paul write about love? Love never fails. What does John write about love? God is love. That means God never fails. Your hope is in God. God will never fail you. He will not. Without that hope, there is no hope of revival. But in that hope, Revival is real. It is something we should pray for. It is something we should ask for. But that revival has to begin right here. And our prayer is this, that God would give to us, each of us, from the very youngest to the most aged, that God would give to us a heart to love Him with all our strength, with all our our mind with all our soul. Amen.